0: Straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe into the Void. Still in quarantine, still bored off of my ass, and needing a positive spin on things. I figured I would turn to probably the most positive person. on the fucking planet that I know of. So let's just go dive right into it. Who the fuck are you and what do you do?
1: Oh, hilarious. Epic intro, thank you. My name is Melanie Curtis. Oh no. Um, gosh, the bullet points. I would say life coach, speaker, author, professional skydiver, ball of light.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a lot to unpack.
1: Yeah, it's all there. All right. That's, that's- why I do bullets.
0: That's cool. That's cool. Well, um, I have a shitload of respect, and I'm still going to give you some shit for a few things along the lines, but I'm so interested (laughs) as a fellow Blue Skies, long-term Blue Skies contributor. In fact, I think you and I are probably the two most prolific writers they've had. Yes, Yes, for sure. Which is either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your opinion, (laughs) (laughs) depending on how you look at it. Uh, But it's always funny because um, I think you and I write... Very opposing um, styles, but the same good-natured fun, I'd like to think, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. So it's it's really cool to be able to talk to you, especially with as bizarre as everything is. Uh, so before we get too deep into the woods, let's jump all the way back, like I usually do, to how you got started in extreme sports and, of course, specifically skydiving and what drove you uh, to this, you know, the lunatic fringe, this weird world we have.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, geez. I, I feel like I've told this story so many times, and like <laughs> every time, I'm always <laughs> kind of like, "Is is it? You, uh, what 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 did I do?" And then honestly, I grew up around aviation, so God. my dad is a pilot, and we had a drop zone in our backyard.
0: Wow! My dad has
1: a, yeah, he has a. A grass strip behind our house. And so, you know, my first flight was when I was three months old. Huh. My parents are divorced. So I would visit my dad on weekends and stuff. But I was really exposed to skydiving at a young age. But, you know, I was also still quite scared of it. Mm. And even though I had sat through the first jump course, God, how many times, <laughs> tons, tons of times, right? And and I could have jumped when I was 16 years old, but I was just, I was just wasn't ready. I was still too scared. Sure. But then one day when I was 18, I kind of w- basically just got sick of thinking about it hmm. and sick of feeling nervous every time I thought about it, right. like sick of being just scared of it that I said, Oh, forget it. Fuck it. Tomorrow I'm doing it. <laughs> and I, and I did. And so I sat through the first jump course with... An intention uh, with the full and real intention to jump. Mm. And for me, it was one and done. I was forever gone after I did that first jump. When I landed in the backyard and I lived, you know, because I always say this to people from the inspirational perspective too, like a life coaching perspective, people who are non skydivers is, you know you know, you know how people say it. People, You jump out of an airplane uh, or I could never jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Right. But what I think people don't add to that sentence is I could never jump out of a perfectly good airplane and live. I right. think people, I really feel like it's a fear, true fear of death, you know, sure. major injury maybe, but I think it's primarily, or at least for me, was death. And so when I, and I wasn't even aware of that as mm. a young person. So when I landed and I was not dead, I, my fucking brain blew up. Right. Like I was forever changed that the things that I think I can't do, I have to at least question, sure. can I do them?
0: You know, that's, it's kind of funny that you say that because I had a relatively similar experience as well. It took me, obviously I, w- I was raised around aviation, but I wasn't raised around skydiving. Um, I started flying when I was 16, but didn't really do much with it. And I, I decided I had to go make that jump kind of just to cross it off the list. It was one of those things that you had to do. And then bad weather yeah. aircraft problems took up a month of going every week to try and make that first jump. And by the time it finally came around, it was relief that we were finally in the plane and on our way up. But the fear, right. you know, it was this intense fear. Right. And I think yeah. the reason that I was so instantly hooked is because when I landed, I realized that I'd been scared out of my wits. And in spite of that had so much fucking fun in that moment yeah. that I'm like, Oh my God. And I don't know about you, but a lot of the skydivers I know do death, the the thought of it is a constant companion for a lot of scholars. Oh, yeah. And how fucking weird sure. is that? You know, that, that people, uh, especially like me, it's a constant, you know, thought in my mind, all right, this could or that could or whatever. It's a very odd thing that we go out of our way to do what most people think is insane.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I, now I talk a lot about Life coaching stuff, sure. and I, I always say, you know, I always laugh about it because I, I like to think I'm the life coach for people who don't like life coaches, right? In the sense that uh, I I try to sound like a normal person, and and back in the day, it was you know much less known and received as a sort of modality for support and teamwork and healing and all sure. the good stuff. But um, talking about overcoming fear think about that like it, it It. we don't even have to jump out of an airplane i mean if you do anything that you think you can't do sure you feel fucking amazing oh yeah oh yeah you feel so good what i think is so incredibly unique about skydiving is what you said as well is how unbelievably fun it is mm. like i i don't even Still to this day, what I've been skydiving 20 almost 24 years now, and I have about 11,000 jumps and yada 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 done a lot of different things. I even took a couple of years off after having sort of a you know big life breakdown and just massive sort of issues with my own fear and just lots of stuff going on in my life. And so I decided very consciously to take a couple of years off, and the biggest thing that was so incredible, other than figuring out how to really get through that challenge and that fear of getting back in the air after that long off was how insanely fun it was. I just did a freaking hop and pop, just jumped out and landed a parachute And it was off the charts. So, so incredibly fun.
0: Right. I mean, that's kind of you and I actually have extremely similar careers in that I started right around the same time as you. I've got about 11,000 jumps, give or take. Uh, And I took about a four year break. Um, Not so much. I mean, I guess it was to deal with with life issues, but I just had gotten burned out on the sport because I made the mistake of only working in the sport and never. Yeah,
1: yeah. I totally was burned out, too. That was part of why I needed to you know, I,
0: I, well, I, I found myself in free fall pissed off about something that had happened on the ground earlier that day and went, whoa, okay, no, <laughs> Right. I've just crossed a really bad line. And that was when I yeah. decided, nope, it's time to stop jumping for a while. And then I got back into it um, because my buddy, Junior Ludvig, asked me to go make a jump with him and the idea of it gave me butterflies. And I went, oh, yeah. fuck, it's time. Here we go. And it was right back oh. to that. I was a kid in a candy store again.
1: that's so awesome right it's amazing yeah i feel like it's it's common for people who have been in the sport a long time to have to grapple with those types of experiences of burnout or just because we as people we evolve sure you know what i mean we as skydivers we evolve and so like for me i had engaged in the sport in one real one way really which was full on crazy level of intensity right in every single thing I did. Right. Like it wildly intense. Whether you, I, it was I wouldn't picture that. <laughs> yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know. It's so bad. But I mean not bad. I don't I don't mean it in a judgmental right. way, but I mean it like it was it was very singular. It was a singular approach that I had to our sport. Right. And of course that was part of why I have been able to do so much that I've been able to do because I set aside other things that I could do with my time, resources, energy, attention, sure. et cetera. Sure. So that matters. That's a good thing. It's a good outcome from that t- type of intensity. And it also was partly why I blew up and burned out so bad. Sure. And, and this is a bigger discussion around just my own personal development, but really being unconscious to my own perfectionism and my own, you know, wanting to be liked, things like that, Like really having to work that stuff out after burning out so bad that I had to be like, why did that happen? Right. You know, like, And it wasn't all that because there was so much love, pure love in my approach as well, which is also the number one reason I think I've been successful in skydiving. Sure,
0: sure. Now, do you think that, uh, um, especially having gone through what you've gone through, do you think skydivers – in general are better at looking in and seeing these things and acknowledging these problems. Cause I mean, as skydivers, we're forced to face things that most people either glaze over or just pretend don't happen. So I tend to, I I tend to maybe paint skydivers in a slightly brighter picture than maybe all of them are, but I tend to think that they'd be willing to look inward a little bit more and examine, Hey, why is this happening? What the fuck did that cause? You know, I mean, you know, I think, at least in my opinion but how about you
1: I really hope you're right
0: <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> I mean that's that's my thought on that is that I really do hope hope that you're right I what I think is I don't know the internal goings on of any person, sure. and I'm not trying to skirt the question. Sure. I'm really owning that because that's I believe that deeply sure. as a, an open non non-judgmental space that I would hold for a person, that if they were to want to step into looking inwardly, then they could. Sure. You know what I mean? But it's not something it's I've ever I mean, certainly, as a leader, as just a person, just from my personal approach to life and leadership is I got to be doing it. I got to be doing it myself. I got to be doing the fucking work myself if I want anybody else to necessarily be inspired into it for themselves if they're looking at me to looking to me as a leader. Yeah, for sure. Whether or not broadly skydivers do that or not, I I don't know what I think, though. And this is one thing that is very hopeful for me about our beautiful, amazing sky family, as it were, is that I do think skydiving is this incredible stepping stone to more personal development in loads of different areas of life because... Because what I think a, pe- a lot, and I don't know, maybe not many people have this experience, but I think it, it's pretty common. You tell me what you think. But I feel like what happens to a lot of us as skydivers is we go in, into the sport, we fall in intense love, and we go nuts w- with it. We don't go crazy. Right. And then we inevitably, in some form, however big or small this might happen for us, we start to lose the the love of the love. Sure. We start to have the sparkle fade, and we don't know why, and we're confused. We're like, why is why like this? I thought this was like the answer. Right. And when that happens for people, and I've seen this many times with with people I've worked with in life coaching and skydiving, just people in the sport, or or more deeply as a life coach, and myself, and for sure myself is that when that happens, that's usually the time when people start to look more closely within.
0: Sure. No, and I completely agree with that. It's, uh, um, I I mean, I think that that's got to happen to everybody at some point. The shine kind of comes off the penny to some degree. If, like you and I and most of the jumpers we know, it becomes this total immersion thing. I mean, I was not a weekend warrior. I went from, (laughs) you know, one jump and the next thing you know, I was shooting tandem videos three months later. You know, it's...
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah,
0: you know, and this is, again, back about the same time that you and I started together, uh, you know, the same time frame, you could get away with a lot more back then. Um, yeah, And knowing people got you a lot further than being any good at it. <laughs> You know, oh my God! You know, so for for diving in headfirst that way, I think burnout was kind of inevitable. Also, yeah, you know, when you start out that way, especially with the generation that you and I came up with, where you had you know Olav and Omar and the Flyboys and all these larger than life characters, Dicardon and all these people that were doing these fucking incredible things that you know before you stepped into the sport you had no knowledge about, and now they're heroes. And then a few years later. You end up drunk next to a jacuzzi with one of them and you find out, oh, this is just another human being. This is just someone doing their own thing and living their life. And as soon as you realize that, it's almost kind of like when you realize as a guy that your dad's just a dude.
1: <laughs> right, you know, totally. It, it, it turn, yeah, you know, I love that. It, and it, I love that about skydiving. So do I. No, I absolutely. Really
0: do. Um, and you know, it's it's kind of funny. Uh, not that long ago, I had uh, Omar El-Higana on, and he uh, was a hero back in the day. Um, you know, when I was coming up, and now I consider him a personal friend. Yeah, and that's a fucking incredible thing when you get to <laughs> I say that all the time. Yeah, you know, you get to wake up one morning and go, my heroes f- are actually friends of mine. That's so cool. Yes, you know, and, I've said that so many times. Yeah, you know, and that's the joy oh my of God. the sport. It, I,
1: I still say that. Yes. Like I, I said this about Amy the other day. So Amy Shomalecki and I are co-leading the Highlight Pro Skydiving team. So it's the all-women's demo team that's centered around social impact and and equality, which is just totally off the charts amazing i'm so psyched to be a part of something like that Mm. and honestly and getting to work with amy as you know sort of co-lead it's just amazing but i really i i just laugh about it because it's the same exact sentiment where i'm like wait Amy Schimilecki is my friend. Yeah, yeah. Wait, what? She was totally my idol back in the day. You know, just so wonderful. That's one, one thing that's really wonderful about skydiving yes. is that you really have true human access to people you admire really uh, at, at the highest levels of of the sport. And it's just amazing I don't know. I just could go on and on. Eliana Rodriguez and Tasha Montgomery. Like, there's so many people I could list oh, that I'm course. like, wow, these
0: people are my real friends. What? Oh, I know. Well, and I had the opportunity to uh, interview Craig Girard, who is I mean, come on. It's fucking Craig Girard. And <laughs> right. the studio that I had at the time when I was doing the podcast was literally in a toilet. And I couldn't help. Wait, what? Yeah, no. So my first studio, I built a soundproof room in my spare bathroom. So I got Craig Gerard to come to my house and sit in a toilet with me and talk about (laughs) skydiving. And there was not one point during that interview that I wasn't shaking my head going, that's fucking Craig Gerard in my toilet. (laughs) <laughs> right, And it was, you know, it was just the coolest thing ever because you realize that these people that you had hero worship for um, just deserved respect for being fucking great people and respect for yeah. being amazing in the sport. And I almost look at the, the way that I had that hero worship for people is almost a bit of an insult because you don't take into account who they really are. So it's yeah, so much more of a, a full um, appreciation for just how great some of these people are. You know, yeah. unfortunately, when you're in the sport for a long time, you also, ha- you know, learn to understand that some of them, some skydivers are just kind of shitty, too.
1: <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I, I mean, hey, yeah, the world. It's, <laughs> the it's, world. Exactly. I've written about that. Yeah, I've written about that phenomenon of like, yeah, about skydiving and, you know, how people – we're like, okay, I want to find my tribe. And for me, I've certainly distinguished that it's not actually skydivers that are my tribe. It's people who are kind, people who are inclusive, people who are, you know, have integrity with their word, like things like that. Sure. You know what I mean? That those are the things. And it just so happens that skydiving elevates our connection. Right. You know what I mean? But really, what my, my tribe is centered around core values like that.
0: Sure. Well, and that falls back to um, what I said earlier, um, being hopeful and thinking that skydivers have this ability to, you know, be a bit more introspective. And, I, you know, yeah. I'm hoping I'm painting them with uh, the proper brush, but uh, um, I it, I think so. I,
1: I really do. I mean, because I feel like it takes bravery to jump out of an airplane. Sure it does. You know, you like, it does. I mean, if, I, I would imagine most of us were scared the first time we went, oh. whether we want to admit it or not i mean i definitely was but i think i feel like that really it can't not serve people no i would be surprised if it didn't well
0: there was this there was this goofy book that was written way 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 back when and it was um very much a self-help book when self-help books were just getting kicked off and i remember reading the first i don't know eight or ten chapters of it and it was a book called feel the fear and do it anyway Um, and yeah, and it was, you know, a cool, catchy title. And at the time I, um, had been through a bad motorcycle accident in LA and, and was actually dealing with the anxiety from that motorcycle accident that I didn't even realize was connected. Um, when I'd had that accident, I had a doctor standing over me in the hospital dealing with just a broken foot, telling me I should be dead. Not thinking, wow. yeah, you know, and but I didn't think anything of it. I'm 21 years old, so oh, oh right. wow, okay, that's gonna be a good story. And then about six months later, the realization of what he said kicked in, and I really had to come to grips with the fact that oh shit, I'm like mortal. Um, so I, in an attempt to try and fight that anxiety that kept coming back, I eventually ended up jumping out of an airplane just to kind of. Show myself, fuck you! If you're gonna die, you're gonna die, but don't you know? I mean, die standing up, <laughs> you know? Was, yeah. So I pushed through that, and it became the most liberating thing I'd ever done.
1: Yeah, you know. it's it's incredible. The re- I also feel like it's it's. We were talking earlier about uh, this. My singular focus of how I was always super intense, right? And uh, why I. <laughs> brought that up actually is because because after my break and after my own introspective period and my own sort of reckoning with my own my identity and what I really want in life and and healing deeply and figuring out how I got burned out all the things that kind of I had to do the work I had to do personally internally to figure that out is that I was able to really redefine and re just reconfigure Mm. for myself how I wanted to approach skydiving. Mm. And I was like, I I basically had a a fear that I just wouldn't be accepted or I wouldn't like get jobs or I wouldn't get work or just I wouldn't basically be successful anymore if I weren't being that super intense version of, of myself. And I had to then essentially use my, I had to buck up and use my courage to just be honest and tell the people that I was putting, you know, the people that were inviting me to come and work, which I'm always so intensely grateful for. I'm still just amazed that we get to do this work is I had to really be straight and say, You know, the Melanie Curtis of yesteryear is kinda is gone. Like that I'm not gonna be doing load one to sunset, back to backs. That's I'm not doing that anymore. Sure. What I really want and I really had a very clear when I came back, and this was uh what, two thousand what, sixteen? I think it was two thousand sixteen. I think you copied Uh, my whole career.
0: It was about hey, when I started I jumping know. again. Yeah, that. same thing. I
1: love that. See, we're kindred spirits. Yeah. I love that. It's so good. And the writing, I just thought it was epic too, by the way. <laughs> oh, I have super, super respect for that. I know you and I, I feel like you are one of the only people who knows how hard it is to actually do that. Sure.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: <laughs> so, but anyway, where I was going is uh, I had to be honest and I, I got really clear with myself because I was... So I had found sort of this I had jumped I had done my hop and pop I'd done some jumps and I had sort of rediscovered and reconnected to my love of skydiving right like that pure initial love and I was like I don't want to fucking mess with that right. like I don't want to lose that again so I had to really think about what is it how do I really want to engage in the sport of skydiving now and And then be brave enough to tell people that's what I was going to do. And so for me, it became clear that the only way I really wanted to work in the sport was just going back to my roots and doing basic belly skills camps for new jumpers. Mm. Like I love working with new jumpers. It's one of my favorite things to do. I've I've just I've always loved it and I still really love it.
0: Well, it's the most rewarding thing
1: yeah, it's so rewarding. And I just, it's just awesome to be able to help people find a path in the sport for themselves. Sure. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that people need to be belly flyers or whatever, but just the fact that you can help someone when they're so new, find be, be safer, feel like they make friends, feel like you have just great, amazing, fun, cool jumps. I love that. Sure, And yet also learn skills on how to be better, oh, yeah. how to get good.
0: One of the big revelations that I had uh, um, both before and especially after I started jumping again was that I'm never going to be the best at any facet of skydiving.
1: (laughs) Right, me either. But
0: that was such a huge thing, and it it was funny because it just kind of took the pressure off the entire sport. I was never going to be the best tandem instructor. I was working with some of the best that have ever touched a tandem rig. I was never going to be some incredible swooper or free flyer, and modern tunnels put me in my place in a fucking big way. I mean, holy (laughs) shit. You want to realize you really aren't that good. You go fly with a 12-year-old that's been in there for two years. It's insane. It's insane. Oh my God. You know, you know, so I think (laughs) one of the biggest things that just kind of lifted all that weight off was just, dude, you're never going to be the best. So just have fun with it. Cause at the end of the day, somebody lets you jump out of a fucking plane. Um, and that for me was huge and, and I really did get to enjoy the sport a lot more. And I was lucky that when I stepped away from the, from jumping, I didn't step away from the sport because I was flying. So I still had the community, which is to be honest, for me, always been more important than the jumps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same for me. It was like, I sort of fell in love with four way FS at the beginning. Mm. So when I went nuts, I you know went nuts as a new jumper. And then basically I found four way FS and immediately fell wildly passionately in love with that and pursued that for basically the first half of my skydiving career, Mm. like to the point of doing a professionally sponsored team, the whole works anyway that, um, Oh wait, what was I going to say about that? (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh,
1: what were you saying? What did you just we've say? we've
0: cut a we've already cut across a whole lot of different uh, subjects all the time. Yeah,
1: I know. Oh, oh, this is what I was gonna say. Is that uh I was so intense into four way and I through that experience, I sort of, I originally initially was as most young competitors say, they're like, Oh, I want to be a world champion. Mm. And just because that's the path, right? You know, if you're really into four way, that's the path. You just go hardcore and you try to be the best in the world. And it became clear to me later on in my path, how I, uh, I just really didn't care about that. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Really, I learned about myself as I grew and evolved, uh, you know, as a person, I, I realized, oh, I really don't care about being a world champion. Right. What I care about is, and my shift, my mindset shift happened where I really just wanted to be able to be on the jumps, to be on on the jumps with my friends. right. So if that was, A badass four way FS jump, cool. If that was a 20 way head down, cool. If that was, you know what I mean? So it's like I wanted, if that was a big way canopy flock, great. You know, so I wanted to have those, all the skills to be able to basically play with my friends. And that has been my focus for pretty much my whole career since that realization. Yeah,
0: you know, and kind of the same for me as well. I think my overriding goal when it came to fun jumps that weren't just hop and pops was, I want to be on a jump where I at least have a 50-50 chance of not being the guy that fucks up the skydive. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I want to be good enough to know I can be there, but I don't have to be the rock star, and I don't have to lead a damn thing. And I'm even fine with being just on the outskirts of the really cool shit that I'm watching happening. And... Even when I wasn't jumping, uh, and even now, I still take great pride over other skydivers' accomplishments just because I know how hard it is and how amazing it is. So I kind of get... I, I already understand, you know, when I'm watching my buddy Junior standing on the podium because he's won some badass swoop competition or any of the friends that I have that are these amazing champions, I take pride in their accomplishments because I understood what it took to get them there. And that Totally agree. That's enough for me. I don't need to be the one to stand on the podium cuz really when it comes down to it, we're members of a very select group of people on this planet. You know, we get Yeah. we do something that most people think is just out of out of this world or they can't even conceive of how and why we do what we do. That's enough for me.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I completely agree that um, I don't know if your listeners know, but I do a podcast with Jay Maletsky, uh called Trust the Journey. Mm. And uh, it's cool because uh, the reason I bring that up is because Jay's told his story on our show about his, about his podium moment mm. of how he really was just, his whole life was cent- centered around becoming a world champion and how, and this is, you've, you hear this type of story with so many professional athletes inside skydiving and out is that you'll have a peak moment and maybe it's a professional athlete, but any sort of peak moment where you reach the peak moment. And then afterwards, there's usually like depression because people are like, what do I do now? Oh yeah. Like, because they're centered on the peak moment. And then again, it sort of opens that door to that reflection. So, you know, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. I was really lucky, um, relatively early on in the sport. I remember being on a twin otter load, uh, with an eight way team that was training for a big upcoming competition and they were having problems getting through whatever round they were trying to deal with. And one of them with all sincerity said, we're getting that last point or we're going in. And I re- oh my God! Oh yeah! And I remember hearing that and thinking, I never want to be that intense about this sport. Never. I couldn't, it, I just couldn't fathom needing to win so bad that even joking about that statement would come out of my mouth. But he said it with sincerity. And I remember looking at him and thinking, I don't ever want to sit where you're sitting right now. And it's not to downplay the intensity that he had. That's just not the path that I wanted to take. And it was a very great, it was a great lesson to learn. I'm really glad that I overheard that because it snapped into me in one instant. Oh, nope, that's not you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And I love that. I love that you knew that for yourself because it's, it is, it is so fascinating how we really do just all have our own unique path. Sure. Sure. You know, cause I'm doing pretty intense stuff right now with the demo team, with, with the demo jumps that we're working on putting together and the just high level nature of those with high level media sure. and live feeds. And it's, it's likely to be, I'm imagining them to be quite intense. Sure. Um, Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe, maybe they won't be as intense as, as I'm imagining. Um, but they definitely are requiring a ton of, you know, a absolutely ton of prep work and, and certainly training and, and all of that stuff. So it's interesting what motivates though. You know what I mean? Sure. Like for me, I've said this about the demo stuff and, and highlight is that I I don't think I would be as psyched about highlight or the demo team or doing demonstration jumps if we were just jumping into the uh, the NFL football game, right. if we were just jumping in for like, I don't know, Evian water, you know, right. like I would just wouldn't be into it. But because it's centered around imp- impact, social impact and equality, that has me psyched sure. because it, it basically feels like this elevated and interesting use of our sport in a very positive, amazing, positive way, broader, like beyond the sport. And, and yet also ideally impacting the sport in a big way, because one of our goals is to really address the gender parity issue in skydiving. You know, the, I don't know if you've heard the statistic of 13% of skydivers are women.
0: Hmm, No, I haven't. uh,
1: Yeah. And so it's, it's just you know our goal is hopefully to be out there in the world, sure. you know, in the presence of of woofos non skydivers and showing young girls and and women what's possible for them, sure, like by just by just being present by just doing it at all, sure, you know, and so that excites me a lot, both for our hopefully for our impact on the sport and and helping increase the number of women that participate in skydiving in a sort of more immersive way, like AKA get their license and become skydivers. Um, And also just from the impact uh, of message on be brave and be bold, you know, the initial inspiration for the team was centered around the women's suffrage movement Mm. and the, just intensity that those women had to go through for decades to earn the right to vote in America and, and certainly across the world. But so it's, I wouldn't have even thought about that stuff. Right. You know what I mean? But that's what I mean by like the evolution. Gosh, back in the day I was, you know, same as you, I was hanging around making jokes around the campfire, not thinking twice about our bigger world. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's just really exciting and motivating to me now to be a part of something that paints skydiving in a really beautiful, positive light for the bigger world and hopefully is using the power of skydiving to capture attention, using the cool factor of skydiving for something really good in the world as well. No,
0: and I completely agree. And it's kind of funny because I've looked back and I've actually had this discussion a number of times with different women on the podcast. And I consider myself very lucky in – the ignorance that I had early on in the sport because I came up with amazing female skydivers. So I just assumed that was how it was. You know, I mean, um, when I very first started, I ended up forming a sky surfing team with Mary Tortomasi, who's now out of Paris Valley, uh, so that we could learn how to sky surf. She was a better flyer in the Vegas tunnel than I was. She could fly the board and I couldn't fly the board. I just, it never crossed my mind that she was a woman. She was just a better skydiver than me. Uh, And, you know, when I was very first learning... Um, I went out and I think on my 25th jump, and this is how stupid I was, uh, my buddy Kevin Love loaned me his camera helmet so that I could shoot four-way video <laughs> for <laughs> for him, Lou Sanborn, uh, the guy that owned the the uh, uh, Vegas wind tunnel, and Juliana C., who I had a mm-hmm. huge crush on instantly because she was this amazingly <laughs> talented Ever, and had the, the the accent and beautiful in the whole nine yards. And again, I just assumed she's just a badass skydiver. It was kind of that thing. Um, So it wasn't until, really actually until I started writing for the magazine that I got clued in that, oh, no, your experience is a little bit different than a lot of people's in the sports, and you were, uh, I want to say, a little bit sheltered and a bit naive in the way that I was looking at things, Um, which I've definitely been been schooled. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, I know.
0: No, and it's good. Like, you know, I I had a conversation with another podcast guest about the fact that um, when the Me Too movement started and everything was really popping off culturally, I was the first person for Blue Skies magazine to write an article about it. Mm -hmm. Probably not the best thing. (laughs) Uh, to be the fucking pilot writing about a Me Too movement. And Laura from Blue Skies, of course, was laughing, saying, no, I enjoyed the article. Yeah, maybe we should have rethought and had a woman write on the subject before you did, but, (laughs) you know. And again, I wrote it from that rose-colored glasses perspective of, no, women are badass and there's so many female skydivers that are so much better than me, basically ignorant to the fact that so much other shit's going on in the sport. Right. You know, so it's it's been a learning experience, and I almost I almost kind of shy away from it because I don't want to appear to be virtue signaling signaling. But the fact of the matter Mm -hmm. is, I actually really do understand and buy into exactly what I've been taught. You know, since then.
1: Yeah. No. And I I respect that. Thank you for sharing that because I feel like that's that's what happens. Right. Is that we. What we just don't know, what we don't know. Right. And like this is, and I really do respect that you are will are are willing to use your platform and use your voice to help elevate these conversations. Sure. And this is directly connected to what's happening in the world right now, right. you know, with the huge, massive conversation talking about, you know, racism in America. and, police brutality. And, and this is a bigger conversation and we don't necessarily need to super deep dive into it if you don't want to, but it's super important in my view to use our platforms and our voices to stand behind those messages that matter. And it is uncomfortable. It's scary. Sure. It's totally scary. And I also think at least for me, I, I had to do a ton of learning because, you know, as just a white person, you, of course, you're blind. You usually you start blind and you end up saying things that end up you feel shame around once you realize. And so, like, for me, it really launched me. And this happened in 2016 for me. I was... I just was deeply moved by the deaths of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. And this is, again, sort of a, I mean, I I know it's hard discussions and I don't mean to bring the audience down, but I really think this is important to talk about. And so, um, that was essentially for me, the start of me sort of waking up to, to white privilege and, I didn't know fucking anything, man. I felt so out of my depth. I felt, and I still feel that way a lot of times. And I mean, you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm a little bit nervous even talking about it now, (laughs) but, but it's important in the sense that white people need to be behind the movement. That's the idea. And so I would invite people who are interested in learning more to read books like White Fragility, Stamped from the Beginning, How to Be an Anti-Racist, Me and White Supremacy. Like there are so many really amazing resources out there that help us illuminate those blind spots so that we can step into conversations in a thoughtful and educated and just empowered way. And again, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's for me, been very messy and very painful and shame filled and, and at the same time, amazingly empowering and beautiful as well. Sure. Because for me, I feel like I'm on, I'm, I'm trying my best to be on the right side of history. Well,
0: you know, that's the funny thing, right? I mean, um, you only know what you know, um, what your experiences mm-hmm. are and, and what your view of the world was. And again, um, I've worn I've been lucky enough to wear rose-colored glasses almost my entire yeah. life. Uh, I'm totally. You know, Me too. I'm a Northern California white boy from you know an upper-middle-class family that really, in the big scheme of things, never wanted for anything. It adds to that guilt that you have. Um, And guilt and then fear of saying anything in either for or against um, anything because you don't want to either appear to be racist or virtue signaling or anything. And people are just confused. What do I say? How do I not upset anybody in a fucking generation where it's all about likes?
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, one one of the ideas that helped me the most, because it makes sense, right? It's totally understandable that a person would not want to be labeled as some something painful. Sure. In this case we're just we're talking about race and 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 someone saying you're a racist. Right. One of the biggest one of the biggest ideas that helped me in this work is came from the book How to Be an Anti-Racist was basically distinguishing the, and changing the language. So instead of, of, of identifying people as you're a racist, you're not a racist as, as really talking about racist ideas that we all were, you know, we're born into this sea of, of ideas that everybody, you know, has some, some of that in their psyche, you know, and we, there's racist ideas everywhere. And so it's not necessarily that people are bad people you know, my my hope is that people are all, you know, the majority of the people in the world are good sure. people is really where I come from. I truly believe, you know, I joked at the beginning, but like that whole, I'm um, a ball of light. I really believe that deeply and that we can talk more about spiritual <laughs> evolution and growth and stuff. But but really looking into the darkness takes bravery. Sure. And it's so much harder to do when you fear that you're going to find out this identifying thing versus going, I can find ideas that have been in my blind spots, just like any other idea that doesn't serve you. Maybe it's the core gremlin thought, I'm not good right. enough, or I'm not lovable, like the, those basic things that almost every human also sure. has. Is that if we can find those ideas in the blind spots by looking, that's good work. You know, like that's brave, good work. And it's painful. It's not to say it's not hard work, but it's good work. And so I invite people to really look for just those racist ideas. And it's easier to do that work, in my experience, by reading books like this and starting to really get a better understanding of what you're looking for and also why it doesn't denounce you as a terrible person, but rather someone who's trying to be a part of a, a bigger yeah, no, solution? Yes, no, absolutely. It, it,
0: it's and they're, they're tough realizations to have and very tough um, to admit, even just to yourself. You know, it's oh so. I hard. I mean, that's the thing. Oh, like
1: so hard, shame. Yeah, you know. Back. I mean, it's
0: really it's it's very difficult, especially when, you know, like me, I'd say everybody has a similar experience, someone that they know that kind of planted a seed in their head that maybe they don't even acknowledge, but it comes creeping back.
1: It's a very, it's a very, it's, yeah, it's complex. There's a lot to it for sure. Um, But yeah. And, and like you said, you know, those people, in our lives and that say something and we don't necessarily know what to say. We stay silent. I mean, there's plenty of times I've done that, you know, plenty, lots, and I'm not proud of that. And part of, at least for me, is, is, okay, great. What's something I can really do is start to learn to have skills where what would it look like if I could speak up in that scenario in a productive way, you know, in a way that's not going to hopefully, I mean, and maybe it will incite conflict and that's part of the risk, but that's, uh, and I I brought up the book White Fragility, but that book really has actionable ideas Mm. in it for conversations like that. And again, this is this is a such a bigger discussion right. and one that I am not in any way an expert to lead. So just please, for the record, that I am I, I, I really feel like I said, I, I you know, I don't Want to feel like I sound like I'm trying to sound like I know everything. I I, I do not feel that way sure. at all. I feel like I'm trying to do my best to use my voice to to invite us all into just continued learning, and and continued skill building so that we can, you know, help illuminate again go illuminate those blind spots when it comes to people of color and and just. The world and how, and how it it, you know it operates. But anyway, I just like it's tough. No, no. But again, skill building, learning, I think is really just a great way to start, and that will equip us for those more direct
0: interaction. Uh, You know, I had a a, somewhere along the lines over the last couple of the years, I I took a different tack because, uh, again, you and I have been writing for the magazine for a long time, and I'd like to think that I have uh, enough of a way with words that uh, I can make up in flashy English what I lack in intelligence. (laughs) So (laughs) so, uh, I'm very good at uh, posting something that uh, might have a real sting to it um, just with the way that I write it, not necessarily all that much merit. And right, and I finally decided, all right, wait a second, how about I start approaching this in a different way and I make sure that I've done my research, regardless of the subject, whether it's COVID or, or it's the stuff that's going on with the, the police and racism in the States, or just somebody that did something fucked up on a skydive, and make sure that I approach that thinking, All right, how can I get my point across without pissing this other person off because it used to be how mad can I get this person and can I get them to lose their shit, uh, in a way that makes me feel like I'm right. And I finally decided Ugh. that's just a toxic way to be. Uh, and, yeah. I, I, and maybe you've done this as well, but I don't know how many times I've written a post or a reply or something out and d- read it and went, Oh yeah, that would be amazing. And then deleted the whole fucking thing and wrote exactly the opposite to that. Cause it's just a better way to handle it. You know, so
1: I- yeah, I'm very mindful with my words because I really do. I, I try to, I try to, and this is just in, in any area because I've I've always really tried to, you know try to communicate <laughs> right. in the way that will elicit the most positive right. outcome. Like you were joking. I, I mean, this is I, the irony of this conversation is we've been talking about a lot of tough stuff today. And I think you mentioned before we started how you're like, does anything piss you off? Or you
0: know, Yeah. Well I mean, actually yes. Yeah, does
1: anything bother you? That's does what anything I, bring you down? That's what I something so I wanted to ask time. you. I'm
0: like, you're the most positive yeah. person that I know in regard to the way that you write and to your online presence and everything like that. And I remember thinking before this interview started, one of the things <laughs> that I wanted to ask you was when's the last time you told somebody to fuck off
1: uh, <laughs> it's so awesome oh yeah well um, I think I mean I wouldn't use
0: those words per se <laughs> anybody that reads both our articles knows that
1: <laughs> I, uh, what I tend to do <laughs> <laughs> and I just was mentioning it but I'm, I'm mindful with my word choice. Sure. I'm mindful with my word choice in that when I am making, a you know, or communicating to a person <laughs> <laughs> in such a way that I am, uh, you know, not pleased with their, uh, way of being or way of treating me or whatever, something right. like that, that might piss me off. I go back, I basically will share about if I even feel like I want to communicate at all. Right. Other, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm just like onward. I don't even bother. But um, yeah, no, I will make it clear. I won't just be like, fuck you. You suck. I'll be like, this is why this was not cool with me. Right. Peace.
0: And you I'm, know? I'm and getting better so that at have that. An
1: understanding of what my boundary is, you know what I mean? Because I believe people, not everybody tries to piss people off. Not not everybody does something in, you know what I mean? Like, sure. it's not like people are trying to be assholes most of the time. I hope that's not the case. Um, so, yeah, I'm a believer that if you can communicate boundaries and communicate clearly around what happened, that there's always opportunity for reconciliation if that is appropriate. And it's certainly not necessary and not needed. It's just that without, if, if I don't share with a person what bothers me and what upset me, then there's no way to reconciliation. That's just straight up disconnection and it's that sucks too. Yeah,
0: no. And I completely agree with that. And I think that falls back to something I said way back at the beginning, which is that I always tend to try and uh, view skydivers in a more positive light, which is probably one of the reasons that up until the last couple of years, if a skydiver did something that was completely opposite to what I believed core values or beliefs should be, I'd snap. Because it was so um, such an affront to what I thought the community was about that I just lose my shit. Um, and I've right. finally gotten better at not doing that because, again, being raised in Northern California, I'm very left wing. I'm very liberal. Uh, I, I, you know, have certain things that I just assume. Would be values across the board. And it's taken a long time to realize, no, not everybody thinks the way that you do. And you're not going to change the way that they truly believe you can only try and, in a good way, put your word out there as well. That's the best you can do, you know, and it's tough. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Overall, though, I mean, one of the best compliments I ever got, and this is not even true, and this is a long time ago, but one of the best compliments I got was someone looked at me and they were like, they were like, you, you never are a part of any drama. Like, why, why is that? Right. And I, and I really was like, and I, and this is again, a long time ago. So it's like, I've been plenty, been a part of plenty of things that are dramatic and that's totally okay. And understandable being a human engaging in life and fucking people period, right. you know? Um. But I didn't, I, I heard that and I was like, huh, I'm like, why is that? Is that true? And I thought about it I'm like, mm-hmm. And basically, I just don't subscribe. I just don't participate. You know what I mean? But that's the thing about this decision of what to participate in and what not to participate in. You know what I mean? So like when is it the right move to go? that I'm leaving over there and I'm not touching it and I don't need to talk about right. it. Right. And then other things that are going on where it's like, this is something that I want to talk about and use my voice and platform for, sure. you know what I mean? And, and, or say to someone in a one-on-one scenario, because it's important to me to, to, to show up for myself in that situation for whatever it might be. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah, plenty of people have drama, but I guess the point is, is that I am very forward focused. You know what I mean? So you talk about me and the positivity thing. It's not just because, it's not because I don't deal with the darkness because sure, I do, of course. It's that, and I don't have bad days. I totally do, but I just, I'm so forward focused, and I'm so, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've also done the work to, to really. Think about what do I care about? Right. What matters to me? What do I what what kind of a person do I want to be in the world? How do I want to show up? And I've done the work. And it's again, not like it's over, but I'm so energized when I feel like I'm taking actions or writing something or creating something or being with a person or whatever that's in alignment with those values. And this is why I've been able to write for the magazine for as long as I have. It feels so values aligned to me to be able to share in that form on a platform that's elevated. I'm so fucking thankful for that. Oh, yeah. No, Like
0: you and I both. Wow. And it's it's funny, too, because looking back at, at uh, um, y- again, you and I are two very different sides of the same coin in right. that as far as the blue skies goes, I- I'm probably more along the lines of the Andrew Dice Clay of the magazine, and you're a little bit more <laughs> right. Oprah Winfrey than me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally. I tend to fall back Oprah's on my own
1: girl. I love her. Yeah.
0: You know, three five of my articles are dick and fart jokes they're inappropriate (laughs) and they're literally meant to go for the lowest common denominator laugh and that's partly because that's what i really enjoy and partly because i'm good at it and partly because i really do enjoy making people laugh but two out of those five articles are heartfelt uh on on point for something that i really really believe in and it's kind of funny I, I I was always and still to this day, I'm shocked that people can't tell the difference between an article that's heartfelt and really, truly meant and one that's just out there to get laughs. And, right. I, I, you know, I, I think I'm still probably the only member of the Blue Skies team that's ever gotten hate mail. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I've, I've gotten a few pieces of hate mail. Um,
1: oh, no, I've, I've gotten some. Have Don't you worry. really? Holy shit. <laughs> but that, that's a different story. I
0: mean, it's, it's, uh, um, it, it always confounded me that anyone that uh, would read an article written by a guy who has the pen name The Fucking Pilot would actually take those words seriously. But it's a right. double-edged sword because when I do write a serious article about something that is close to my heart or something that I really do mean, they have to look at it the same way. So I, I understand it and I take it both ways. Uh, but it's it's funny because I'll read uh, your articles next to mine in the magazines and go, well, shit, those couldn't be fucking more different. <laughs> you know, when I, I spent 2,500 words talking about farting in a twin otter and you're talking about this uplifting stuff. You know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it was always really entertaining. And that's the joy and also the genius of Lauren Cola putting out that fucking magazine and letting yeah. everything go in that magazine and standing 100% behind their contributors, regardless totally. of how, you know, either sincere or outrageous we were being. I'm, that's totally true. And that's why I write for Blue Skies Mag. Yes. I used
1: to write for Parachutist a, a lot mm. back in the day. And I love Parachutist. This is not a diss on Parachutist, it, it's only that. I'm so protective of my voice, sure. and and what how I uh, my words are used. Again, we were talking about mindfulness of words <clears throat> and using of our voice. And I, that was essentially the agreement. You know, I said I I, I want to to write, and of course, Lara and Kola were completely supportive from the start. Sure. But the one of the deals was they couldn't change my words. They could not edit my shit other, other than for like simple punctuation right. and spelling and stuff. But otherwise, it has to be – because I feel like that's what – it's so important. Sure. Like I feel like the only reason I make impact is because it's actually me. Yes. Not because it's an edited version about a topic that haps, happens to be relative to skydiving. Exactly. Like that is – to me, that is not – I don't care about that. Oh, yeah. I care about being – you know – Being someone who's showing up as an example of how we can show up in the world. And my hope is it helps people. Yes. I mean, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but my hope is it does. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, and, and that's probably my biggest uh, point of pride with the way that they've handled that magazine. They've also never changed a single word in any one of the multitude of offensive articles I've written for that magazine. <laughs> right. And uh, um, one of the things that uh, shocked me and, and made me even more proud of how they handle that was finding out that Laura's mom has proofread every article i've ever written for that magazine oh my God. and i have written horrible things for that magazine Uh, the first I think the first year that I wrote for them it was almost an unspoken competition between Laura and I to see if I could ever go too far and have her say no I'm not going to publish that. Oh my
1: god.
0: So I sat down I think it was the fourth or fifth article I ever wrote and I intentionally wrote what I considered to be the most offensive article to this day that I have ever written and she didn't change a fucking word. She printed every word of it put it out in the magazine and went this is your voice this is what you want to say and she's never, ever either even suggested that I change it. Uh, and how amazing is that? I mean, it's. Yeah,
1: it's totally. I mean, that's it's so super critical. Oh, it's the yeah. reason I have a book. It's the reason I ha- how to fly. My book actually exists. Yes. Uh, but I don't know. Have you done your uh, audible book?
0: I'm still working on it, but I don't know about you. Yeah. The hardest goddamn thing in the world is to audibly and intelligently and be well-spoken reading your own words.
1: Oh, my God. I know. Because, well, I'm working on mine now. Oh, it's, I'm like, I don't know. It's so I, oh fucking my hard. God.
0: I mean, you're reading it, it and so, I'm I, and I oh don't know my. about you. You tell me if you do this as well, but I'll be in the middle of reading a paragraph rewriting it in my head going, oh, you could have done so much fucking better, right? It's
1: so hard not to edit. Totally. I'll even ask you, Um, what's your opinion on
0: this? Because I know that there's two different ways that people do audibles. Um, One of them is they read word for word. That's it. And they put a little emotion into it and they act it out a bit. But other than that, what's on the page is written. And then there's authors that have done audible books of their books that actually kind of tag caveats onto, all right, so this is what I wrote, but this is what I should have said.
1: Yeah, I there's going to be a little bit of both in mind is that I'm going to read I'm definitely not going to edit the uh, text Mm. at all. And I'm going to read it because what I think is so what I mean, well, this is up for debate. But what I think is at least one of the pieces that's interesting about my book. And what I'm talking about is how to fly the collection of my Blue Skies magazine columns over the nine, 10 years that I was I'm writing for them. Anyway, Is that you really can see my evolution as a writer and a person? Sure. Like the like the earlier columns are just not that they're good, right? but you know, like can really, and I think that's a, an important part of the overall experience. Sure. And so it's, it's a bit torturous.
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> to,
1: to be reading the old stuff and being like, oh damn girl. It is, I know,
0: <laughs> trust me, I feel the exact same way when I, when I put the, the Blue Skies book together I'm like, oh my God, I, I not only did I write this, but I hit the send button and it was put into print. Oh my God. And my mother was one of the first subscribers of the magazine and I'm like, Oh, this is this is this is ridiculous. You know, I can't believe you know, and so you get into you get into the audible and you're having to relive those articles and relive those experiences and you can think of all the different ways that you could have been so much more eloquent. <laughs>
1: oh my god. In the way totally.
0: Well, you could have been. I couldn't because I was talking about being a fucking Vegas stripper. So there's not really too many ways to be <laughs> eloquent about that shit. <laughs>
1: Oh my lord! Right? Yeah, it's the, it's it's all an adventure. Yeah, I, mean, I will say
0: that the audible reading the audible is a whole new torture. It really is, and I oh. I, I have no doubt that it's just as difficult for you. But I'm reading back shit that really I should never have put in print.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I know. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's for to each their own. But like sure. I, I've I'm excited about the project and I definitely plan on I plan on reading. So the columns that didn't make it into the book, because I continued to write for the magazine, even though I published this book, is that I'm going to I'm going to read all of the ones that were not. In the book. Nice. Also. Nice. So it's gonna be sort of an extra part of it. But yeah, I I, I've been debating. I feel like I need to make a bathroom toilet studio for myself, (laughs) (laughs) right? (laughs) Because I've been doing it in my office and it it's kinda working, but I've been having some some issues with the tech and but again it's it's I love that. If we talk about that type of stuff and you know, oh just how much you have to Figure out like the fact that you even have a podcast. Figuring out the tech to even do a podcast. Oh my god, it's been. I almost, yeah. I just almost went into a psych ward. Right, it's been a challenge. Yeah. it really has been a oh. challenge,
0: and I, I mean, it it definitely um, it, it feeds my my need to just say what I've got to say. Um, and I always find it um, not necessarily shocking, but certainly surprising that anybody cares to listen at all. Uh, but I'm yeah. lucky in that I've had so many amazing people on the podcast that I almost assume that people are listening to the podcast in spite of me and i'm fine with that i do not mind <laughs> i do not mind being the butt of the joke as long as whatever message i feel should get out there gets out there and yeah for sure one of the biggest compliments that i've gotten over the podcast has been from jumpers that have stopped jumping but listen to the podcast to remember what it was all about and have just thanked me for feeling like they're back in it in some way and that's all yeah. that's all i need I'm, I'm fine with Yeah. It's golden. Well,
1: that's a beautiful thing too, is like get it coming back to the sport, oh, yeah. you know, finding your way back when you haven't, when you've maybe taken a break that I think is such a relevant thing to share about because think about like the joy of rediscovering the sport is just so wonderful oh, yeah. for people who have taken time off that are, that are wanting to come back, you know, like no pressure, no judgment to people who want to jump, don't jump or don't or whatever. I'm a really, really, you know, to each their own type person when it comes to skydiving for sure Sure. and just life in general. But yeah, like I'm so glad for me that it was so. I mean, it was really a fearful time for me thinking about coming back to jumping Mm. because I was so afraid that I was going to burn out again. And I was so afraid of just like, of course, hurting myself or, or dying and just sure. all the things that we worry about. But, and so it took time. Like I actually had this day where <clears throat> before I got back in the air, I was not quite ready, but I was, I was close and I was trying to be ready. Right, right. <laughs> and I, uh, and I drove to jump town. I love jump town. One of my favorite places drove to jump town And on the way there I was trying to just sort of record my thoughts and feeling. Cause I was like, maybe this is something that would be useful to share with the world if, if, and whatever. And I was just, I just remember feeling so scared. I was so scared. I was not, and I had fucking 10,000 jumps or more at that point. And, uh, I get to the drop zone and it was, it turned out basically not to be like my day to, to jump. And it sort of, the fear was one thing, but it was like my, I had a brand new rig and that was super amazing too, but I had a brand new rig and my parachute basically was just too tight in it. And so I was like, okay, that's it. And then the wind picked up and it was just, we couldn't jump. But my point in sharing that is that if pe- uh, is for people who are listening, who are maybe wanting to get back in the sport, know that you're it's it's normal, yeah. you know, to feel like that to have sort of a struggle with it and to work through it, however is right for you. So for me, ultimately, I just needed to wait kind of a few more months. And then I ended up going to Cross Keys and I did, you know, like I said, I just did a hop and pop with my friends. You know, Logan held my hand on the ride to L El- to five grand, right. you know, and it's like it's so simple and so it seems so stupid, but. I just, that's what I needed. Well, that's one of the things. That's what I needed. People will take a break.
0: And um, like for me personally, I um, remembered the risk and forgot the reward. Which, yeah. Which is a big thing. Right. Because we know it's risky. Obviously, we know it's risky and statistics don't make you feel any better. Um, you know, you can spout statistics all you want all day long. But anybody that's been in the sport as long as you and I have have lost people on, you know, ways that statistically just shouldn't have happened. Um, you know, so. Yeah. And we all know that. Then of course you go out and make that jump, and you remember all those rewards come flooding back. The literally the second you let go of the airplane, you remember why you were in it in the first place. Uh, but it takes <laughs> so right. But it takes that uh-huh. to to kick it back in. And the coolest thing that I've discovered talking to all these different people uh, for the podcast is that the best of the best and the greatest skydivers and the most confident outward skydivers. Every single one of them deals with fear and it's, yeah. it's the, the no fear generation that, um, scares the shit out of me. Don't tell me you totally. don't have fear. I embrace the fact that this scares the shit out of me because it is what's kept me alive and why I've enjoyed it so much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally agreed. Right. Completely agreed.
0: Which is the weirdest thing. How do you tell a wuffo, no, fear is why I love skydiving so much. And I hate being scared. I don't like it. It's not the fear itself. It's the conquering of it and having a good time in, in spite of it.
1: Yeah, totally. And again, going back to the positivity thing and like, why am I such a happy person? And because and I've had people say to me over the years or uh, look at me and go and perceive me as someone who's fearless and I'm that's why I write so much about my struggles and and that's the thing like I don't I talk less I mean I talk about them more now because of the trust the journey podcast sure. but and being on other podcasts and just being further along in the work but uh it's I never want people to think, No, you know, and this is like, it's, and this is only for someone who's in like a leadership elevated leadership role, which just, even if we just take the magazine alone, that just puts you in a leadership role. Sure. You're featured in a, you know, but like, obviously I'm out there and I'm doing my Facebook lives and I'm, I'm trying to just do my business and, and, be in the world with a certain messaging, right? right? Like that's my job. That's essentially what I do for my job and what I do also for, for my purposeful values, yada, yada. But it's so, it's so important. I feel like part of the reason I'm so happy is that I have developed a skill set to work through the anxiety and fear that I feel. Sure. Because I feel like I've felt a ton of that in my life relative to, yes, skydiving, but also Relationships. Oh yeah, you know, love, friendship. You know, just conversations. All of the things.
0: Well, growth. Just, ha- just anything. Having the balls to face whatever it is, whether it's in the yeah. air or on the ground. Absolutely, and that's that's a big thing too. Is is uh, you know, I dealt with with uh, pretty decent anxiety back after that motorcycle accident years and years ago, and. Yeah. It didn't go away because I started skydiving. Skydiving just gave me the tools to cope with that. And it's a right. very big thing to be able to go, I know what this is. I know how to handle it. And I know there is an other side to this. And skydiving gave me the the coping mechanisms that I would need that other people would end up taking pills or drinking too much or doing whatever. I went and jumped out of an airplane and faced my ultimate fear- over and over and over and over again and then realized that the rest of the shit, the volume got turned down a little bit. And even when that volume yeah. got turned back up, I had a capacity to deal with it in a way that I never would have if I hadn't jumped out of a fucking plane.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? Well exactly right. Yeah. It's that it's for real, man. Like that skill set is everything. Yeah. And the iterative process is also everything in my experience. Sure. Is that you know what I mean? That it's it both takes the edge off in the short term such that we're like, oh, OK, I had some I had some reprieve from the fear and anxiety right. and it you prove to yourself. And this is, again, in skydiving or in life, in whatever things that were fears that we're facing and sort of inching our way through or bravely stepping through whatever, is that every time that we do that, we earn a, a, f- a confidence in our ability to do it. Sure. And so the next time we're facing a fear, we're we're that much more confident it's not that we're fully confident but we're more confident like and that's where you know it kind of comes from you know what i mean like right. for me that's how it's how it's evolved and how it's grown sure. and how i've been able to do pretty much everything in my Life and
0: career, for real. Well, and it, the cool thing about it, too, is—and again, going back to just the perceptions, by the way, that you and I have written in the magazine, because obviously we have drastically different styles in the way that we present ourselves <laughs> in the magazine. We still have very, very similar mentalities. Um, yeah. And a very similar journey through the sport, uh, very much so. But the funny thing is, I'll— I'll see a, a particularly I'll read one of your articles that's particularly inspiring or um see one of your posts that's super, super happy and my initial thought will still be, Oh, Jesus <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jesus, that's
0: so fucking positive. I'm kind of sick to my stomach because I'm the guy that just wrote about how stupid I was when I did this, that, or the other thing. Or, but it's it's um it's that oh Jesus, out of respect because I'm like oh Jesus, I I couldn't do that. There's no fucking way I could well, do it. Well, you know,
1: yeah, I hey, I get it, man. I get it, and that's the thing. Like one thing I I've said a lot, so funny, is that I. I know or I've had the experience for sure where people will meet me, whether it's in person or through my writing or whatever and, and think I'm fake mm. because they be like, Oh, no way this, no way. Right. And, uh, I am okay with that because I believe in the long game sure, in the sense that I, I know it's authentic and real for me. Like I'm doing my very best. I'm fucking a like you, any, in no way. Perfect. Duh. Right. Like, that is not what I'm talking about because of course, duh, nobody is, but I know that it's real for me that my, I know where my heart I'm, I'm my heart is in the right place. And I, I know that over time, if a person gets to know me, that they'll realize that. Right. And at which, if they ever, if they do realize that, then cool. And if they don't, that's okay too. But it's more like, I'm not worried about the short term, like, re- like, rejection. sure.
0: Well, and I, I kind of get the same thing again, 180 degrees opposite from you. People will meet me and assume that I must be as big an asshole as the fucking right. pilot is. And then right. and then be surprised when I turn out not to be such a big prick. I mean, I'm an asshole. I'll admit <laughs> it. I'm I'll hold it up. I'm, I'm proudly a bit of a dick at times. But uh, I'd like to think that uh, what was somebody gave me a T-shirt years back that said I'm the nicest asshole you'll ever meet. You know, which I thought was really sweet because that kind of wrapped it all (laughs) up. But it always cracks me up when people take the character of the fucking pilot so literally and don't realize there's right. a lot of levels to everybody, not just me. Yeah. And I, I write very intentionally and very purposefully to get that laugh again, usually towards that lowest common denominator, but it's that fourth or fifth article you need to read if you want to actually know who I am. And I'm yeah. fine with people having their preconceived notions. Cause if, if that's all is that, if that's as deep as you want to go, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's your and ride.
1: not everybody not everybody is for everybody. No. And God, that's okay too. God no. And uh- Thank God. Well,
0: see, but uh, not everybody believes that. You and I have been around long enough and and put ourselves out there enough to know that there's just going to be people that just can't stand us. And it took yeah. a long yep. damn time to not try and defend yourself against those people because that's what it feels like, right? You've got to yeah. defend yourself against the people that don't like you or don't like what you stand for. And then eventually you just go, oh, fuck it it just doesn't
1: yeah yeah and just it's it's okay it doesn't you know and that's the thing like I I love everyone which sounds so sort of lame too Uh, but I'm not gonna say meaning I I I, do I I joke I joke that uh even people I don't like I like Hmm. but it's only because I don't because I don't like everybody I I don't but I do love everybody And I mean that, and I mean that from a very like higher level spiritual sense. And it doesn't mean everybody gets access to my space. It doesn't mean every, you know what I mean? I want to be friends with everybody. It just means that I really Rest in a in a place of tr- of love, and really aiming to understand and and doing my very best to be love and be that ball of light, sure. be that light in the world in the best way I know how at this current juncture in life. Right. Like that's that's my my hope, and I do my best, and I'm not perfect, and and what else can you really ask for, yeah. you
0: know? Well, and in the broader sense, I don't, I, I'm not quite as out, you know, outward as you are, but in re- at least in regard to specifically in skydiving, there's a lot of skydivers that I don't. A lot of skydivers that I either don't know or might not like, but most of them I respect only because I understand the journey that they've gone through to get where they are. Um, yeah. So unless they take a stance that's something that I just clearly cannot get behind, chances are I've got at least a healthy respect for that person, which I suppose is, is kind of the same mentality in regard to your looking outwardly and having love for these people even if you don't like them. You know, there's, yeah. there's more than a few skydivers that I don't like at all, but I respect them. Um, so, yeah,
1: I believe we're all connected. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, I suppose, and it's the, I mean that in the bigger sense. But yeah, for sure. I mean, it takes something to be engaged in life in any way. Sure. You know what I mean? Life is rough,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> a lot
1: of times. You know what I mean? Right. And so, I, I definitely agree and get and 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 yeah. I mean. Uh, especially skydiving. It's just such a quirky, weird thing. Right. It's one thing I love about it so much. It's so weird. It is like what we like, we hang on to an aircraft in flight. Like we get to be on the outside of an aircraft in flight. What?
0: Yep. Yep. I know it. Like that's, Still. The whole if, like, if you what? break the sport down just to basically just describing specifically what we do, it sounds on paper. It looks fucking ridiculous. It's so weird, it really does. If it's you just so write weird. out, you're going to do this, 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 and this. Most sane people would go, "You're out of your fucking mind." There's no way <laughs> no. I'm going to do these <laughs> no. things, you know. But then you've got this massive group of people that do all these wonderful things and yeah so now as i as I get to the end of each podcast, I always ask especially the long time jumpers two different questions, one of which is what do you say to people just coming up in the sport? they're just deciding they want to be a skydiver? What advice do you give to those people looking forward? and for those that went through what you and I went through that burnout phase um, where they're they don't know if they want to be a skydiver anymore. What do you say to them? yeah
1: yeah, well, new jumpers, I I mean, I, there's a lot. I would certainly say, reach out to me anytime you want. <laughs> I would say that first, truly, and I mean that. And I, and I, I really mean that. And I'm gonna. My email is mel at dot com, and that's not a plug. The reason I say that is because it's connected to the piece of advice I would give: is that most people want to help and support you. Sure. And that it can feel so scary to be a young jumper and be like, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm doing. There's all these cool people around me that we perceive as cool and no more and nobody wants to jump with me. And all those things that sort of block us from connecting to the community and getting sort of the help and support that is really totally available to young jumpers. So, yeah, that's what I would say I would invite you to breathe (laughs) and and know that most people are going to be nice to you, and if you run into anyone anybody who isn't, that is likely the exception to the rule. Sure,
0: I, I completely agree with all that.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, and the burnout thing? Gosh, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a that, big question. We kind of ta- We kind of touched on it, but I think uh, I, it comes down to. I mean, there's a the bigger conversation is figuring out how you got there in the first place, so that you know not to do it again. Right. So that that comes with that deep introspective work that we're hoping all skydivers want to do. So I fuck. Yeah. Do. Booyah. Do that work. And the other thing is take your time. Take as long as you need. Try to try to remove that magnifying glass of self-judgment that comes on and that fear of I am not welcome anymore because I'm not skydiving or I you know what I mean? Like figure out how you would want to re-engage in the sport if you decide to, sure. you know what I mean? Like it's, it's that, that reflective work is so important because then you can just do the thing that we do anyway, which is be brave and re-engage in the way that you want sure. that serves you. Well,
0: I think one of the biggest so, lessons yeah. that I learned in all that was it's okay not to go jump. It's okay. Totally. It's man. totally okay to just go, "I don't want to fucking skydive." But it's very difficult for people like you and I that were in the sport so deeply to literally step back from what has become your entire life. You know, and Oh yeah, man. And that's the that big thing. It's so weird. It's it's okay to not jump. It's okay to just go, "I need a fucking break." I need a
1: It's break. one of the best things that ever happened to me, honestly, yeah, me too. Dean. Me too. And I the reason I yeah. Why was it the one of the best things for you?
0: Um, honestly, it just gave me perspective. It, it, it uh, showed me uh, what was important and what I had forgotten uh, and that I had turned it into uh, a business. And it wasn't the actual jumping. Uh, it was the environment and the people that I was around and letting things get to me too much. Um, if you ask me now what my favorite way to skydive is, it's still doing tandems because I so loved yeah. – giving that experience to someone that would not, either not otherwise have had it, or I get to put my unique spin on it. So I fell in love with that kind of skydiving, but it's hard work. And it was very difficult to match up the fact that I love doing it to the fact that sometimes it just fucking sucks, you know? So that was, a I was really torn by that. And because I started um, shooting video and then competing and then chucking drogues so early on in the sport, I never just went out and was a goofy fun jumper. I didn't just go out and do stupid things and have fun with my friends. So I never really experienced that portion of it. And when I got back into it, that's all I did and went, oh, this is why I became a skydiver. What do you know? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh and, I, I just for
1: me, it was it was so powerful to realize and to have the experience because I had you just like you I mean well I mean how old were you when you started skydiving it you were young yeah yeah, I started jumping at 26 okay so well I started when I was 18 and so my entire adult life was colored by skydiving Mm, sure you know my entire adult life included this intense focus on skydiving and so for me it was so useful sure I mean, it, it was painful, it sucked, but it was so good, so good sure. for me to be able to have the life experience of, oh, I can find happiness and friendship and interest in my life, because you know, the entrepreneurship, the public speaking that I do, the life coaching work that I do, I love that. Sure. You know, I, Amy and I were just talking the other day about, you know, how I really do have sort of two lives. And I really like that. Oh, yeah in the sense that I have a sort of woofo life. And the only reason I even have access to that is because I went through the painful sort of how do I live without skydiving. Right. And now I get to be in skydiving in the ways that I really love to. So that's another reason why I'm, I'm a happy person. Sure. Is that I'm really only spending my time doing the things that feel, uh, you know, purposeful to me and a part of the life that I want to be living and that, and the life that I want to be building. Right.
0: Well, and again, very similarly, I was, uh, I was able to step into skydiving from, and and let's face it, skydiving is very counterculture in a lot of ways, or at least it has been until very recently. And so I went from, fuck, I took my pants off for a living and promoted raves. Uh, you know, so I went from that to stepping into a world of professional skydiving, which let's face it is not that different. (laughs) Right. It really isn't. (laughs) I mean,
1: I I got paid to dress up in costume, you know, which is so true. Absolutely.
0: You know, before I jumped, they thought I was crazy because I took my pants off at public. And then after I started jumping, it was because I was jumping out of airplanes. So not that much changed for me. And also, Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to maintain um, the, the, The friendships and the cultural side of skydiving because I was flying in it. So even though I got to sit up in the front of the plane and be my my, be by myself and play a bit of a hermit role in skydiving, I was still in it. So I never really had to walk away from the community, which let's face it again for me, never going to be standing on a podium. That's what the whole thing was really about.
1: Yeah, that's what I did when I was, when I was uh, in my break, I, I had fully stepped away from the, fully stepped away from the community, except for writing my column. And I thought it was such a travesty. And this is, I I really thought it was a trap because I love helping young jumpers so much and I love coaching and just helping young skydivers. That's just one of my favorite things. I thought it was such a travesty that I had to be physically at a drop zone to help people that the that the 20 plus years of of shit in my brain couldn't be of service unless i was physically on a drop zone which is something i couldn't do at that time i needed to be away and so i that's when I basically created the online coaching group that I now lead for young jumpers. So I, in the time of COVID, like zoom has become this big thing, but you know, we had this, we've had this group for four years, mm. every single Monday night, 30 minutes, 8 PM Eastern time. We have a, we have a call nice. and we, you know, in different people, it's been through many different phases, you know, one of the guys that joined the group, he started when he had 14 jumps, and now he has, you know, five, 600 jumps and suiting, and is working in the sport <laughs> and doing all this kind of stuff. And it's just so wonderful to be a part of that type of just just to be a part of people's helping people be safer and make friends and and find, like I said earlier, find the path that's right for them in the sport. It's not that I I do anything per se other than hold a space for us to meet and have some laughs and right. whatever. Well, Learn, and, watch some videos.
0: And that's kind of how this podcast came about as well was it wasn't necessarily a podcast to be specifically about skydiving. But like I described before we started uh, recording, this podcast was designed to be as if – The listener just sat down next to a bonfire drinking a beer and they're listening to a conversation that happens on every drop zone everywhere. Um, and it's, it's so cool. and that's one of the things that makes it so much fun. And I, I took about a, a two-and-a-half-year break um, from the the sport entirely because I went to try and be a, an adult and fly for an airline. Uh, but I was still just like you when I was out of the sport. I was writing for the magazine. But the funny thing about that particular time, and especially in my writing, is the articles that I wrote in the two-and-a-half years that I was gone were all the craziest, over-the-top stories that I didn't have the balls <laughs> to tell when I was still showing up to the drop zone every day. <laughs> So for those two years that I was gone, my articles got more offensive and more over the top because I was trying to get myself back into that mentality, you know, and dive back into it. And that was one of the funnest things about this podcast is, and I've told other friends this too, even if no one was listening, I would still do this podcast just because I love it. And because when I'm 90, I want to go back and listen to these and remember, oh shit, I said that. (laughs) (laughs) No. You know, this, this is I know. considering I came up uh, in a generation that didn't have camera phones and everything wasn't videoed and, and filmed it. This, these are going to be a blast to go back and listen to and go, oh, that's what I was thinking. Holy shit. You know. <laughs> oh my God. So now how do, oh, how do people so find crazy. out where you're at? How do people find you online? How do f- people find you in person, whether they want uh skydiving coaching or life coaching or any of that stuff? How do they track you down?
1: Yeah. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Um, The, the group, the skydiving group that I lead that I just mentioned, that is, at the VSC.life. So it's the virtual skydiving center. Uh, so the VSC.life is that. Please join us. It's like five bucks a month. I really just charge something because I believe it helps people engage more. So they get something. Sure. Um, for life coaching, it's melaniecurtis.com. And like I said, the podcast that's trustthejourney dot today. And yeah, thank you. I love this. It was it's been so cool to talk. I really appreciate just I'm just
0: grateful you. No, no, I thank you so much for taking the time to sit down. I'm glad we booked more than an hours worth of time cuz I have a feeling if you <laughs> I and I know. got going it's just gonna keep going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know there's so much we didn't cover too. Yeah,
0: I don't one thing I don't think you neither you nor I suffer from is public speaking fears. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: <laughs> the work, man, the work. Yeah,
0: that's that's not an issue at all. Well, guys, for everybody listening, please check her out for both the virtual skydiving for the life coaching and where are you jumping if they want to if they want to jump with you in person?
1: Yeah, Cross Skydive Cross Keys is my home DZ oh, and I do a lot of organizing at Skydive Orange as well. There's a
0: lot of memories I left in that place. Well, I don't have any of them, but they were really cool from everything I've been told. <laughs> of Cross Keys was in Almost every insane article I've ever written came out of Skydive Cross Keys.
1: <laughs> Fabulous. Pico oh. and Nadia will love yeah. that.
0: Melanie, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Blue Skies. And that's it. Another edition of Ludotic Fringe Into the Void brought to you, as always, a whole bunch of times now considering it was me and Melanie from Blue Skies Magazine. Blue skies mag.com is where you're going to head to subscribe to the magazine. Uh, that's also where you're going to go for all the cool swag. That's where you're going to go to send those photos that you want in print out there or online and those article us ideas as well. We want to hear your stories. Uh, for me, I am the fucking pilot. Go to the fucking pilot. net to uh, be able to subscribe to this podcast and get all the links to all the different podcasts that I've done. I think I'm up to 75 podcasts now with amazing people. Uh, also, both the links for both the books that I've written, the Blue Skies Magazine's fucking pilot book, as well as The Accidental Stripper, both of them available in digital and print, and as Melanie and I discussed, hopefully, painfully, soon to come, Audible. Once again, Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. Thanks for coming. See you next time.